and I'll have these on for another minute or two just to make sure what's going on is working. And so you can hear us talking in the yeah. headphones? Yeah. And I could put you in headphones too, but then it's ridiculous. So. <laughs> we look like a bunch of astronauts hanging out in the middle off. of nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> we are kind of astronauts hanging out in the middle of nowhere. Well, pretty much. This is what like rock climbing is. It's space exploration. This episode of the Power Company Podcast is brought to you by you. It's all about you, made specifically for you, and kept sponsor-free because of you. Thanks for listening and for helping us build this. I mean, I'm at a point in my life that I've been really excited about since I was 14, 13, and I'm kind of living my dream right now, so it's pretty easy to be motivated doing what I'm doing. What's up, everybody? I am your host, Chris Hampton. Welcome to the Not So Average series from the Power Company podcast, brought to you by PowerCompanyClimbing.com. In this series, we talk to the regular folks out there, you know, the people just like you. And we try to find out why you're not so average. In this episode, we're talking with Jonah Durham, who my friend Johnny Lightning very aptly described as the sweetest kid ever. Jonah's on a year-plus long road trip, right out of high school, and we've bumped into each other in four or five different climbing areas around the country. And in talking with him, I discovered that he jumped from V8 to doing quick V10s and flashing V9s, and from 12B to 13A. And that happened in a relatively short time. And while that might bring to mind an image of some fiercely driven, square-jawed athlete, uh, that's not Jonah at all. He's extremely calm, kind, and always, always just plain joyful. And since that seemed to fly in the face of what I expected, I set out to find out, really, who is Jonah? Who is Jonah? My name is Jonah Durham. I was born in North Carolina, um, but I moved to Washington State when I was five years old. I call Washington State my home. Um, Very much so a Pacific Northwesterner. Um, I'm 19 now and currently living out of my car. And we all know kids who are chasing climbing and living out of their cars. And, and as you all know who've been listening, I've, I've been following this path myself. And I kept bumping into Jonah in all sorts of places across the U.S. And the first place I encountered him was the Red River Gorge where I met him with his dad, actually, who was also there climbing. And not having much of a family background myself, I found it really interesting, and I was curious to know how he got started. Let's see, I started climbing when I was about 12 years old, so seven years. Dad get you into it? It was actually part of a PE program through my school. I went to a Montessori school, and so we kind of did like all sorts of stuff for PE, and one of them was rock climbing. Um, And me and my best friend at the time got really into it, and I got hooked pretty much a traditional started in the gym kid and fell in love with it. Oh, that's cool. So did your dad start climbing after you then? He did it when he was in his 20s. Um, He had my brother when he was really young. He had my brother when he's 20 years old, so he kind of had to drop having fun and become a father. (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
So he refound it when I did. I came home one day and said, Dad, climbing's awesome. You should get back into it. He said, well, I used to do that and broke out his EBs that he had from a long time <laughs> his ago. EBs. The EBs. Nice. Styling. You're dating your dad right now. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> now, obviously, Jonah's dad, John, didn't have to give up having fun for very long. And when I met them, John had come to Kentucky to climb with Jonah for his birthday. And John was living in the tent. Jonah in his truck, and Jonah would get up and make breakfast every morning in this great role reversal. And at night, they would banter about trading their years on the road. Um, and as an open-minded father of a 19-year-old myself, it made me smile to see a parent who not only accepted, but participated in their 19-year-old's passion. And, you know, but I only have the one daughter, and I knew Jonah had a brother. I do. I have an older brother. Does he climb? He got in. He, his big thing is uh, surfing and mountain biking. Oh, yeah, right now he's a surfer. He that. lives on the outer banks of North Carolina. Um, he went through a little spurt where he got into climbing um, just when I got into it. And we would go top roping at this little sandstone choss cliff yeah. uh, with my dad. And it was pretty fun. Um, I've tried to get him into doing it some more. Next time I see him, I'm going to throw some climbing shoes at him and make him climb because <laughs> I think he'd enjoy it. But surfing's his climbing. Surfing is his climbing. Did he move to North Carolina just for the surfing? He did, yeah. Um, so he actually moved there for kiteboarding. Um, he got a job working at a surfing and kiteboarding company. Um, and he's been there for maybe three or four years now. How getting, much older than you is he? Uh, seven years. Seven okay, years so, so he kind of set up a a path, yep. you know, that that mom and dad were could see and were totally okay with. Yeah, that, totally. You know, he's traveling around for surfing. So. Yeah, and loving it too. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Does he Is he married? Does he have kids? He is not married, does not have kids. Uh, um, he has a girlfriend. Both living the bachelor life? Yep, the bachelor life. <laughs> Very much so. <laughs> never, never really thought about my life as the bachelor life. <laughs> well, you did start this road trip with strippers yep. in Vegas, right? Strippers in Vegas. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> yeah. I can't even imagine what that would look like, Jonah with strippers. It, I'd be really uncomfortable. You've I, seen how red my face gets. Imagine <laughs> me around strippers. <laughs> It'd be very uncomfortable. I guess you could say it's kind of a, a dork in high school. Yeah. Took school seriously. Um, pretty much just chicks, chicks dig nerds and dorks now. Do though, they? So yeah, Do they dude. really? Yeah. Oh, man. That hasn't caught on yet. We'll see. Oh, it will. Chicks dig chicks dig the nerds. Yeah. After this podcast comes out, you're just going to get a flood of oh, women. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. The fame's going to hit you and oh, no. all the women are going to come calling. You think so? Yeah, I do. Oh, that sounds... Awful. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, actually, I think your energy, like, draws draws people in. Like, you were saying about Annalisa, how people just want to be around her because she's so yeah. positive and happy. She's awesome. I think you're the same way, you know? And I saw that in the red, hanging out with your dad. I I don't come from a, a, a tight family. In mm -hmm. fact, I would call it uh, the absence of family. Sure, sure. And... So watching you hang out with your dad, I thought was super, super cool because you guys seem like you just got along like friends. Yeah, we do. You know, 
See, you're, the, the bee's drawn to you right now, too. The bee is just a- attacking my <laughs> microphone viciously. It's the green shirt. I shouldn't it's have worn a lime look green like shirt. A flower, Jonah. Yep. Oh yeah. my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think your energy is good, and in, in the way that you you and your dad bantered back and forth like friends, I think mm-hmm. that was super cool. Has it? Have you always had that relationship with him? Did yeah. that come about through climbing, or was it just that always that way? I mean, we've we've always had a really close knit relationship. We would, and climbing definitely helped solidify that. Like we'd go on climbing trips together. We went to Bishop every spring break from. Um, the eighth grade until I graduated high school. We'd go to Squamish. I'm from Bellingham, Washington, which is really close to Squamish. We'd go there every summer and whenever we could, really. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, my dad, to a certain degree, like, I had obviously had, like, best friends and stuff, but he was one of my best friends, you know? Yeah. He was my travel partner and climbing partner and dad. He's also my teacher. <laughs> he seems like a cool guy, too. He so. is a cool guy. He's a really cool guy. Yeah. I have a great dad. And like I mentioned, you know, as a parent who didn't really have parental role models, I'm always looking to see what successful parents are doing. And, you know, I admired that that John was Jonah's friend and role model, and, uh, but didn't try to keep Jonah trapped there and, you know, really supported this road trip that he was on. And the more I talked to Jonah about the road trip, the more interesting it became. Well, pretty much when I started climbing, I saw all the videos and photos of places like Bishop, Waco Tanks, Yosemite, The Red, um, and just really fell in love with climbing through photos and videos, and then, of course, climbing itself. Um, I'd go on climbing road trips with my dad, and I just always thought it would be cool if I could do it longer. You know, like, the end of the road trip was always so, like, bittersweet because I wanted to stay longer. Sure. Um and so I started saving up money when I was a freshman in high school. I worked through high school at a climbing gym. Um, really didn't spend any money. Um, and just, it was something I'd always wanted to do. It's kind of like the a pilgrimage to a certain degree, I guess, of just yeah. traveling around the United States and seeing as many climbing areas as I want, staying at them as long as I wanted to. Um, so you had the long-term plan. You started saving freshman year. I did, yeah. I've always been kind of a, I like to have goals and work towards them um and that was just something that was really easy to motivate for just thinking about saving money and seeing all the climbing videos helped even more because it was motivation to save money i guess yeah i think it's pretty cool that you were a high school kid who had this four-year plan basically because (laughs) most high school kids can't keep a plan for a week yeah well i I still couldn't keep a plan for a week but this was a little different because it had to do with climbing yeah something i'm really passionate about yeah obsession (laughs) yeah that's pretty cool man so did you like plot out the whole trip through this whole four years or were you just like i'm gonna save money and then i'm just gonna go wherever the hell i feel like i kind of had like um itineraries for where i wanted to go so i'd have like itinerary a itinerary b and whatever and they were different climbing trips um one of them started in squamish one of them started in smith rock yeah um the one i ended up doing started in wyoming and then colorado but it was definitely something i planned ahead for Mm -hmm. maybe a little too much something i realized when i started living out of my car is that i don't have to like follow my plan exactly because i'd be like i'm gonna stay in rocky mountain national park for 13 days and then I'm going to drive for two and a half days or whatever and go to Arkansas, you know? Um, whereas I kind of made the realization that 
traveling and li- living out of your car needs to be a little more like free formed, I guess. Yeah, yeah. For sure. Kind of just go with the flow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you have other friends who at any point were talking about going on the road trip with you or was it always just you solo? Um, I had friends that were really psyched on the idea and said they'd want to visit me, but it was definitely something I wanted to do by myself. I wanted yeah. to do it solo. Yeah. That was important to me. After high school, I, I knew that I wanted to take a gap year before going to college. Um, and I just thought it seemed like a great way to fill my time to travel and see the U.S. and experience new places and meet new people and climb everywhere. Yeah. So, how did, how was dad with it? Dad was psyched. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> yeah. My dad was really, my, both my parents were really excited about it. Um, they loved the idea. Um, really supportive parents. Um, I worked hard in school, so there wasn't anything that I needed to like make up for, I guess. Yeah. Kind of thought I deserved it. I thought I deserved it. Um, I'm loving it now too. It's yeah. a lot of fun. So before we get too deep into this and and before I, you know, tell you guys why I think Jonah is not so average, um, let's let's take a look at the details of this crazy road trip that Jonah's on. So I moved into my car and started kind of I guess you could say full-time dirtbagging on July 9th. My first stop was a friend's bachelor party. I think we talked about this in the last podcast. There were <laughs> yeah. no strippers. I yeah. want to make that clear. Yeah, all, the, all the strippers in Vegas. There were, yeah. Oh, God. And then, no, none of that happened. <laughs> um, and then from there, I went actually to Lander um, mm-hmm. for the Climbers Festival. Yep. And then Rocky Mountain National Park for, gosh, like two and a half months. Got to meet some of the climbing rangers, had a really good time with them, kind of got an introduction into trad climbing. Um, can I say names on this podcast? Yeah, yeah. I can't. Um, Phil Magistro is a climbing ranger at Rocky Mountain National Park. He's an awesome guy. He taught me a lot about trad climbing, so that was kind of an eye-opening experience. Because cool. before that, I mean, I've been climbing for seven years now, and almost all of that has been bouldering, so it was really right. interesting and awesome to kind of get a taste of what trad climbing is like. And then I left... October 2nd, like early October, and went to Arkansas to Horseshoe Canyon Ranch. I was there for over a week, and then Arkansas to the Red. And here's where things get tricky, because I did kind of like a lot of bouncing back in the south. Um, I climbed in the Red for a little bit to Little Rock City, back to the Red for two weeks, and then I went to North Carolina and kind of stuck around there until Christmas and then kind of spent the winter months bouldering around the south. Yep. January, I drove to Waco for just over a month and then I went to Flagstaff, Arizona and did some college stuff. I'm going to be attending Northern Arizona University in January. Yep. And then I went to Red Rocks for two to three weeks. From there, I went to Bishop, over a month in Bishop, left Bishop and went to Smith Rocks. And then when I was in Oregon, I found out that I actually had to go back home and take the SAT, which was kind of a weird, funky pit stop from the Yeah, trip. I bet. Like, oh, here I am. I'm going to take a test. Yeah. I'll see you later. Slap some textbooks down, <laughs> switch from just climbing my brains out to academics. So it was yeah. kind of weird. Um, but I took the SAT. I think it went well. I studied hard. Um, and then I kind of repeated the beginning of my trip. I went to Leavenworth. I was there for four days, and now I'm back in Lander. And I'm going to go back to Rocky Mountain National Park. Now, when you meet someone like this who seems to have this charmed, um, 
hesitate to use the word easy, but that's how it seems. Uh, life ahead of them. You know, and you hear that going back home to take the SAT was a, you know, a hiccup in a road trip. That seems a little too good to be true. Um, so I asked Jonah, you know, were there times that were a little frustrating? Because I don't believe that it's the ability to just coast along in a perfect life that makes a great human being. I think it's how they react to adversity. You know, I actually get this question pretty often when people are asking me about traveling and living out of your car. Um, it's always been something I really wanted to do. But before I went on the trip, I kind of like told myself, I said like, Jonah, there's going to be hard times when you're traveling. Um, and to be honest, I've been really surprised of how little mm -hmm. I've kind of struggled. Um, but one day definitely does come to mind that was the most stressful day um, traveling and living out of my car. I was driving from Alabama to Texas, yeah. and there was a, a winter storm in Dallas. Um, I got in a car accident, luckily without not with any other cars, but I was going onto an entrance ramp um, over a bridge. There's some ice on the bridge. My car definitely isn't the best all-terrain vehicle. It's a four-cylinder rear-wheel drive, two-wheel drive Tacoma. Right. Um, so I hit some ice, lost control blew up my like front bumper and my car spun around um i had just bought groceries and the back of my tailgate blew open there's <laughs> groceries all over whole it foods was, all over the expressway yeah right i can't afford that <laughs> 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 i wish <laughs> no way man um yeah so groceries are all over i'm running around the freeway and my sleeping bag like blew out of my car so i run on the street try to get my sleeping bag get all these groceries it's freezing out it's like 15 degrees um, a guy got out of his car and helped me push my car off the road. It won't turn on. I'm just like running off of adrenaline. Super stressful. I'd never been in a car accident before. Um, so I'm just sitting in my car. It won't turn on. Eventually it does. You know, thank God my car's working. So then I jump back in my car. I start driving really slowly. My hazard lights are on. Um, that night, like there were something like 80 plus accidents. A couple oh, people died. It was awful. Um, and so I get back in my car, I'm driving, and I hear this flapping noise by my wheels. So I stop the car, and like there's a like a bit of plastic by your tires that prevents like mud from bumping up. That piece right. had ripped off and was like hitting my tires. So I cut it off, jump back in my car, pull over to the, like the closest gas station I can, and then I call my dad, and then I just start bawling. <laughs> I mean, it all <laughs> caught up to me. I was like, yeah. I almost died, Dad. Um, it was How did Dad react? Oh, he was super chill. He was yeah. just like, you're okay. Um, it was exactly what I needed to hear. Um, and then I went to bed at a gas station. It was freezing out. Um, so yeah, that was definitely the, the most stressful and kind of chaotic day of the trip. Yeah. But other than that, I mean, really nothing comes to mind. Mm -hmm. You know, like a few times, like I popped a tire. I almost ran out of gas when I was traveling. But, like, I haven't really been encountered by sketchy people or bad accidents. Um, Why do you think it is that it just all seems pretty easy to you? I don't know. I mean, I mean, a part of it could be that the people I surround myself with, you know, I find that climbers, for the most part, are really genuine and nice people. And I'm going to climbing areas and climbing crags, surrounding myself with positive people. Um, so that makes it really easy. But in terms of just, like 
accidents and not getting in accidents and weird things happen. I mean, there is an element of luck. You know, I've just like kind sure. of thought about it. And like, man, my trip has been going so smoothly. Like I had planned and expected for more kind of like hiccups to happen, but they just haven't. So Yeah. Well, you know, I bet if we really, really dug in, I bet we'd find a bunch of things that other people would react differently to. Sure. And would end up super stressed about. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my my armchair therapist take over here is that you know your dad plays such a huge role in that you know you talked about how you and your dad are great friends and that you've learned so much from him and you call him in the middle of this horrendous moment and he's just like you're fine dude yeah you know dad's got you've got the same disposition that your dad does sure and i think carrying that into this whole trip and just allowing yourself to go with the flow and see see that you're in a good situation and and realize that you're there all the time like you obviously do sidesteps a lot of those potential stressors sure and like the small things that some people may get stressed about if you think about it it's really not a big deal now you'll notice that when I asked Jonah about a frustrating moment on his road trip, you know, he didn't mention climbing. He didn't mention failing on any projects or, you know, being bummed that he had to walk away from something. And I think that's a really mature way to approach climbing. And it didn't surprise me that that was Jonah's response because I had noticed some things about his climbing um, while out climbing with him, you know, a contrast of sorts um, that I think is what makes Jonah so good at what he's doing. And after this break, I'll tell you exactly why I think Jonah Durham is a not-so-average Joe. Hey, everybody. Chris here. I'll try to keep this short and sweet. Since this thing became officially official, I've basically been obsessed. I've got dozens of episodes waiting to go out, and I'm constantly recording new conversations. I want to continue putting this level of energy into it, and you all can help. We've created a page at patreon.com slash powercompanypodcast where you can help support what we're building. In return, even for as little as a dollar per month, you'll get access to the brand new We Scream Like Eagles podcast, which includes tips from our guests, extra conversations about hot topics, and Q&As with your questions posed to our guests. If you think it's worth more than a dollar a month, we've got other rewards available on top of the bonus episodes like stickers, ebooks, t-shirts, and training plans. So if you've been considering pitching in, now's the time. That's patreon.com slash powercompanypodcast. Thanks a ton, and back to the show. Welcome back to the Not So Average series from the Power Company podcast. Today we're talking with Jonah Durham, a 19-year-old from Bellingham, Washington. And, you know, Jonah's one of those guys who's very happy-go-lucky and everyone wants to be around him. And he's he's just that kind of person who you're drawn to. And while out climbing with him one day, I I watched him pull on to this V8 in Waco Tank, Sex After Death, and pretty calmly flash a grade that was his hardest send before his road trip. And later in the day, he pulled on to a V9 Frogger and did the exact same thing. 
Now, before Jonah pulled on to sex after death, he, he said to me, I'm trying to get better at this. I, I really want to learn how to try hard. And I found that to be a really interesting juxtaposition with his normal happy-go-lucky, go-with-the-flow sort of style. And I wanted to talk to him about that contrast and how he manages it. Well, something I've never really been good at, I'd like to think I'm a pretty slow climber with bouldering. I like to know beta, like exact. I like to know every Mm -hmm. foot placement, all the right grains on the holds I grab. Um, It's rare for me to flash anything. Uh, But recently, I thought it'd be kind of fun just to see what happens, just trying really hard in general, because it's hard to give 100% on a climb every time. You can't do it. It's exhausting. Yeah, totally. Um, But kind of something that I've thought about is what helps me try really hard is just to think about climbing and think that what you're doing is kind of silly. You know, don't take it very seriously and that kind of gets rid of any doubt or kind of like disbelief in your head and you can just attack a rock climb with a clear mind. And I think that really helps just not really thinking about anything other than what's in front of you. Not not thinking about the fall, about beta or anything, you know, just the climb in front of you. Yeah. Have there ever been times, I'm curious about this because you do seem to pull on and not worry about things Mm -hmm. and not think about things. And there was a day we were walking up the chains in Waco here and you had just done free Willy, I presume. Yep. Mm -hmm. Because I heard this little like (laughs) shout of joy (laughs) and I, I look back and, you know, I knew it was you pulling over the top and you were like on top doing this little joy dance. Yep. You know, and it's very embarrassing dance. <laughs> it's impulsive. I can't help it. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Like just the other day, you were dancing on top of a boulder, and yep. I, I think it's hilarious that you just don't seem to. You're not intimidated by the grades or by the people, or there doesn't seem to be a lot of ego involved. Yeah, I, yeah, I try to keep ego out of climbing just because it's it's silly if you think about what we're doing with our right. time, just going out and climbing on little boulders. It doesn't have to be this you know, uber ultra serious, I must climb this boulder or my life's going to fall apart. You know, you can just have fun with your friends. And I mean, obviously still try hard because that's really fun to see what you're capable of. But yeah, it doesn't need to be so extreme, I guess. Yeah, I think that's important that you just said it's fun to try hard because... Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because you can look at, I'm going to... You know, it could seem to be this really militaristic thing Mm -hmm. of I'm going to pull on, I'm going to try really hard, I'm going to block out the fall, I'm going to block out everything else and I'm just going to try hard. That could seem really militaristic and mm-hmm. it, it seems to be this contradiction between well, I'm going to do that because it's silly what we're doing. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but it it's so much to be fun. This contradiction, but the, the thing is that you're having a ton of fun by trying hard. Exactly. Exactly. You're just competing. You're competing with yourself really and you want to see what you're capable of and I love that feeling. Yeah. Of just seeing what you're capable of and trying as hard as you can. What happens when you fail or do you? Have you, ever, have you ever failed, Jonah? All the time. <laughs> have you felt my crash pad? It is so blown out right now. Oh my gosh, that thing's seen some love. Um, what happens when I fail? Um, I, don't, I don't throw wobblers, as they're called. You okay. know, people picking up and throwing crash pads. Because yeah. I think that is just pretty ridiculous. Because it's just a boulder problem. Um, I normally just kind of think about what I did wrong. Maybe if there's a, a body position I could have been in that would have helped. Um, 
sometimes I'll, when I, when I'm not climbing a boulder problem with a clear mind, sometimes I'll think about the fall. Um, the other day I went up to bloodline by myself with my pad Mm -hmm. and I was kind of midway up the route and I looked down and my pad was in the wrong spot and I was going to hit the rock. So that kind of got in my head. So Uh, I jumped down. Um, yeah, I guess so. So you're still making good decisions. I try to. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Climbing by yourself maybe isn't the best decision because when I ended up doing it, I was still over the pad. Yeah. Um, not over the pad, but. <laughs> no, I think it's, I think you're right. I think that, you know, failure is going to happen mm-hmm. and you just have to accept that. But you said something really smart and that you're, you just see what, you try to figure out what you did wrong. Yeah, and learn from your failure. Learn from the failure. You know, it's not, it's not like the ultimate, I just failed and that's the end of my life failure. Yep. Throw crash pads and shoes. Yeah. And like (laughs) you said, it's, it's silly. It's a boulder problem, you know, and it's silly if it's a route and it's silly if it's a big wall, you know, whatever it is, this whole thing we do is a little bit silly anyway, right? Yeah. Yeah, So I, I think people find it hard to to do both, to take it seriously and see it as silly. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. You know, let's let's try and dig into that. I'm not even sure that I'm not even sure how, frankly, to dig into it. But let's let's just talk about that and see what happens. Like, do you have friends who take it super seriously? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I've seen people. I mean, a lot of my best friends are just like diehard boulderers, and that's. I mean, I'm obviously very passionate about climbing too, um, but they approach it very di- differently, I guess, than I do. Um, they'll swear and get super upset when they don't do a boulder problem, but they try really, really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm one of my best friends back home, a really strong climber, tries just so hard. He like death screams his way up, climbs when he falls, he's totally upset, but it's inspiring to watch him try that hard. Um, I guess what's not inspiring is him throwing these mega fits. <laughs> or something. I just I just don't think that really needs to be a part of climbing. I mean, like when you fall or fail, um, learn from your failure and think about what you did wrong. I guess you know. Yeah, I agree, and I think I think some of those people do. Like, I'm on I'm on your side. Like, mm-hmm. I don't generally throw. I've in fact I've never thrown a fit. I've never never had a wobbler. You know, never sure. done any of that. I'm <laughs> I'm the same way as you. I'm I'm fairly contemplative when I fall off. Like, yeah. First, I'm excited, like, oh, this is cool. I get to learn something. Oh, yeah. What is it that I get to learn? But having, you know, delved into this world of emotional rock climbing, because Annalisa and I have been working a lot on her attitude towards climbing this mm-hmm. season, I think that, you know, some people are just higher emotion and wound a little more tight mm-hmm. and... And that's the way they express their emotion. Yeah, sure. I don't think it necessarily means that they are super negative or they hate themselves for it or anything like that. I think it's just that's the way they express it. And then a lot of those people do come back almost immediately. You know, a few minutes later, they're learning the same lessons that Mm -hmm. you are. You know, they just come about it a different way. Yeah, different so, approach. I think it's okay to do as long as it's not a, you know, an overblown, overdone, I need attention, look at me, I just fell off this V10 yeah, sure. kind of thing. <laughs> you know, and you can tell the difference. Yeah, If absolutely. you're an experienced climber, absolutely. you can see the difference for sure. Mm-hmm. So, 
But you said you learn, you know, you learn from him. Like he, you're you're inspired by his tryhard. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I assume it's a he. I yep, just I just is. made that assumption, uh-huh. which I shouldn't have. Cause, yep. <clears throat> yeah. So, do you think he learns from you? From watching me, just kind of. I mean, I have a more laid back approach to climbing. Um, he's really into climbing competitions. Mm-hmm. I'm not so much. Uh, so I guess he has more of a competitive mentality with rock climbing. Um, just when he attacks climbs, I guess he thinks he has to get the top. He climbs kind of with a time in mind because that's how climbing competitions are. Mm, it's interesting. Time to do the yeah. climbs. Um, takes it very seriously and puts pressure on himself. If he doesn't climb or perform well, he kind of harshes on himself. Um, well, it sounds like he could learn from you then. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I wouldn't say he's necessarily learned from me just because that's how he climbs naturally, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure. I know. I don't think he's learned from me. <laughs> yeah. Well, he, I think he could. Mm-hmm. And if he listens to this, maybe you should. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a, I think you can do both. I mm-hmm. think you can have the, you know, partial laid back and then the attack mode. Yeah. Cause I just saw you do it. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's so important to have, but just yeah. being able to tune out and have a clear mindset when you're climbing is really important. Yeah. I think so. So obviously this is something that Jonah is still grappling with and, you know, coming to terms with and figuring out. And he's willing to talk about it and be open about it. And I think that's remarkable, not just for a 19-year-old, but also for someone who's seen recent success like Jonah has. I mean, he's jumped from V8 to V10 relatively easily. And he also jumped from, you know, 12B to 13A. So to understand that there's still things to figure out, even though you're having this this amazing success, is a really mature thing. And I wanted to know how it is that, you know, what exactly is Jonah doing to try and reach this tuned out, clear mindset that he talks about? I guess a lot of that is, I know it sounds a little hippie, but meditating helps just to clear your mind, focusing on your breath especially. That's something that's helped me a lot. When I climb, just remembering to breathe, focusing on my breath, that seems to kind of make you focus a little bit more. You're not thinking about other things, like maybe the landing isn't good, maybe you don't have a spot or something. Just being able to look at the climb in front of you and focus on breathing, that Mm -hmm. really helps. Out of all the things I'd say, that helps a lot. Yeah, and I don't think that's hippie at all. I think it's no. smart. <laughs> well, you have read you know? a lot of the Rock Nice mm-hmm. Guru stuff that talks about aligning your chakras and whatnot to <laughs> <laughs> become a better rock climber. No, I think, you know, even just looking at it from a scientific point of view, your muscles have to have oxygen to perform. Mm-hmm. So if you're not breathing, then you're not going to perform very well. Yep. Period. And I think we've all had those climbs where we forget to breathe and get to the top and we're totally gassed. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It happens to me more than I would like to admit. Yeah. But so when did you start working on it? Like, when did you realize that you didn't just flip the switch and try hard? Uh, I would say maybe a few months ago in November, I was climbing in LRC and just really started to realize that when I'd get to the top of Boulder Problems, I'm just totally gassed. Um, and then shortly after that, I started working on meditation and reading on how to get better at it. And a big part of it was an easy way is just to slow down and just think about your breath. And that gives your brain something, something to think about other than trying to just 
tune off. And so I guess I applied what I learned from meditation, something I still am working on, um, to climbing and just breathing and slowing down, listening to your breath. How old are you? 19. 19. <laughs> yeah. That's insane to me. When I was 19, I was in jail. I wasn't thinking anything <laughs> about meditation. <laughs> so, so what resources did you look to to, to kind of learn about meditation? Uh, Google, the Oracle, okay. the Oracle. Yeah, Google. the all-knowing Googler. Yep. <clears throat> did you, it. like, are you doing like the, what's the popular meditation app that's on people's phones? I can't think of the, Headspace, did you do that or were you just? I just, I uh, read a little bit about it. Um, I was looking up some kinds of yoga that I think is really cool because I'm trying to get better at yoga too. It was something involved with Ashtanga yoga, mm-hmm. which is like a yoga that really emphasizes on breathing in different positions. Okay. Um, so I got into that. And then in terms of just meditating, it's how I normally end doing yoga. Just take 15 to 30 minutes to sit and silence and just focus on my breath. So. Yeah, that's simple. Yeah, it's it's super easy. It's an easy thing to start and that's the best way to begin is just find some time out of your day, like 15 minutes even. I started, I mean, I'm I was awful at it. When I first started, I could sit for like 4 minutes. Yeah. And then I'd my mind would wander and I'd have to get up and I was done. Um Yeah, I'm the same way. If I yeah. if I sit still for more than a couple of minutes at a time, I'm like, okay, I must have work to do. Yep, exactly. What can I do? Exactly. Yeah. Um, just take a little bit of time and eventually you'll get better at it and you're more comfortable sitting for longer mm-hmm. and just focusing on your breath, I guess, breathing in deeply. Yeah. What not. I think it's interesting that, you know, your, your path to trying hard or flipping that try hard switch came through calming down and relaxing and mm-hmm. being quiet and, and breathing. And going back to the acknowledging that climbing is kind of silly that in itself calms you down because if you kind of are climbing with this intensity it can stress you out you know yeah you put pressure on yourself to say i have to do these boulder problems this trad climb this sport pitch or whatever um you put pressure on yourself and maybe you doubt yourself when you're climbing Mm -hmm. if i have to do this this move is too hard i'm too weak whatever um just acknowledging that it's silly helps quite a bit too can i get an amen Now, I just want to clarify here that I agree with Jonah, and I think most of us can agree that climbing's a little silly. But that doesn't mean that it's not important to us. I mean, it is, right? So important that we're willing to live in our vehicles for months or years to chase conditions around the world for it. And for most of us, Jonah included, it's a lifestyle. And maybe at the silliest end of that spectrum is something that I consider to be a necessary evil for most of us to continue improving, and that's climbing indoors. And we already know that that's how Jonah got started climbing, and you know now he's finding himself out here on this road trip, so I wondered how that got started in the gym. And I know it was the voice of God. I kind of, I look at the gym very differently than I look at climbing outside. I look at climbing in the gym as a place to get stronger, you know, just to train. Uh So, I mean, it's fun to work on a route at the gym for a few days and kind of have a, uh, I guess you could say like a pseudo project, but it's not something you really need to work for necessarily. You don't need to put a lot of time into because 
I mean, for me at least, for me at least. You don't need to um, finish it. No, I yeah. look at it as just making moves and getting stronger fingers to apply uh-huh. that to climbing outside. That's a smart way to look at it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I love climbing in the gym. I started climbing in the gym. Every time I go there, it's really fun. Um, but I use it as kind of just like a place to train, you know, mm-hmm. not a place to perform. I use like boulders as a place to perform. Yep. Do you have boulders near your house that that are easily accessible squamish the nearest area or we have a small boulder field that we started developing a few years ago and it's just pretty chossy sandstone Uh uh-huh takes about like three hours to clean because it's all covered in moss yeah um so not the best bouldering uh bellingham's an interesting place because the climbing there isn't so good but it's close to amazing climbing we have squamish that Depending on the border, you can get there in an hour and 45 minutes. We have Leavenworth and Index. Smith Rock isn't too far away. Um, so it's actually a great place to be a climber because there's a lot of good stuff nearby. But yeah. nothing really right there necessarily. So during the week, like during school, you're mm-hmm. you're in the gym mostly. Yep. I did the, that's about all I had time to do because I put a lot of emphasis on school. It's pretty much school, the gym, and then working at the climbing gym. Okay. So, so you worked at the climbing gym. I did, yeah. I was a, a route setter. <clears throat> and then I just do a little odd-in jobs. I did a little bit of landscaping. Um, and then I worked at the climbing gym, taking out the trash and cleaning every once in a while. Do you do you take the same, like, fun, carefree attitude into route setting? What are your what are the problems you're setting like? Or do you always just set heinous crimps up a slightly overhanging wall? I actually don't like to set <laughs> crimper problems. Really? I try I try not to. Um, I'm really passionate about route setting. Uh, the people I worked with are really good route setters. I had really good mentors. Um, we set with a lot of volumes and did uh-huh. a lot of like coordination technical um, styles of climbing. It's something I'm actually really bad at, but that was kind of what the gym was like. Um, heavy on the volumes. Um yeah, route setting was something I was really passionate about for a while. Um, I still am. I just haven't got the opportunity to do it for a while. Yeah. Who but, were your route setting mentors? Can I say their names? Yeah, for sure. It's Art Lim, uh-huh. Ryan Patrick Wapnowski, and Justin Plant. I learned a lot. They're all, the three of them are very different setters, but I learned a lot from either one of them and just about climbing in general because they're very different climbers. Yeah. That's cool to have three you know, totally different climbers to look up to and yeah. learn from. And I mean, <clears throat> some of them are my role models and others are just really good friends too. They're all really good friends of mine. I'm actually yeah. going to see Art in Red Rocks in a few weeks from now. Awesome. Yeah. What uh, what are the top things you think you picked up from them? Um, in terms of route setting or like climbing wise? Uh, both. Things that you still carry with you today. I guess um, in terms of route setting, I learned about aesthetics from Ryan uh, from Justin, I really learned like the technical side of route setting and how to be efficient and be organized. Um, in art, I guess I learned just how to be crazy with climbing, you know, set yeah. moves you didn't really think were possible, 360s and bat hangs and crazy double clutches. Um, and then on the climbing side, art was very, is a very, very powerful climber. He kind of just pastes his feet on the wall and jumps around. Yeah. It's a style of climbing I've never been really good at. Um, but aspire to be better at. So just being powerful, trying to jump like a madman that's how he climbs. <laughs> um, and then Justin and Ryan are both very technical sound cli- climbers. Justin's kind of the, we call him the slab master. Yeah. So learned how to be delicate with my feet. He's a smart guy. 
It's clear that Jonah chooses to try and better himself by watching others and choosing the lessons that he needs, and I think that's a good tactic. And he surrounded himself with good people, or maybe that's just the type of people he attracts. I mean, we all want to learn from people like Jonah. And like you mentioned, he's headed back to Rocky Mountain National Park, where for the summer he'll be filling a position that might allow even more people to absorb this good energy that he has. So last summer, I climbed quite a bit with the climbing rangers and um, had a really good time. They're all awesome. And they kind of threw out the idea that I could be the next bouldering steward um, this summer. And Have there been bouldering stewards before? It's a new program so they did it for the first time last year okay. but the bouldering steward Melissa Strong she yeah. had an injury she yeah, broke she her neck or something yeah and it sounds like she just recently had another accident yeah um, kind of a heinous one oh my goodness yeah um, so she couldn't get out in the park as much as she would have liked to so this year is kind of I guess you could say it's the first year the bouldering stewardship is really going to take off um, there's as far as I know there's two of us and I cool. haven't met the other bouldering steward, but her name is Cammie. Um, but yeah, I'm going to be the bouldering steward. I'm going to be there from June until the end of September. Um, essentially it's an opportunity for me to take care of the bouldering around Rocky Mountain National Park. It's a over recent years, bouldering has become really popular. Um, right. Like in 15 years ago, people weren't bouldering at the park as much as they are now. The main focus was trad climbing. Yep. Um, the climbing rangers used to be called the Longs Peak Rangers because that's where all the climbing was and that's where mm -hmm. all the activity was. Um, but then bouldering blew up in the early 2000s, late 90s. Um, and I guess the bouldering steward program is just like an effort to make it so there's more people around the bouldering areas taking care of them, teaching people about leave no trace ethics, um, picking up trash, just kind of basic stuff. Um, to be honest, I know a little bit of what it entails, but it's also kind of unknown. I know I'm going to take some a search and rescue course, a basic medical course, and a ropes rescue course. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm really excited just to learn and be in Rocky Mountain National Park this summer and figure out what this bouldering stewardship is all about. Uh, awesome. I, I don't think they could have picked a better steward because I honestly think that in the boulder field, you know, if... A lot of climbers have this weird um, aversion to any sort of perceived authority, you know, but but you have this, and we talked about this, you know, before when we were in Waco, but your energy is just so inviting and, and people <laughs> want to be friends with you that it wouldn't matter if you were the police when you rolled up. Sure. <laughs> people are going to be into it well, just because you you're much. that kind of guy. So <laughs> I think that's a good choice on their part, a strategic choice on, on their part, maybe. Yeah, I'm excited for it. I think that the in terms of being kind of a, a role of authority, there might be a bit of a learning curve. Are I mean, you going to get to wear a cool ranger hat? I am not sure. <laughs> so Max, one of the climbing rangers, I got a text message and it said, I'm not sure what it means. It says Jonah might be wearing an outfit this summer. So maybe I'm going to get dudded out in some Sweet Ranger gear. I'm not sure. I hope so. Oh, man. That'd be really I have funny. to have photos I'll of that. I'll send you a photo. Yeah. That's gonna, I'll come up to the park just to see that. Oh, man. It's going to be pretty dorky. <laughs> All right. Cool, Jonah. Thanks for sitting down with me, man. I really appreciate it. I, I sort of had to 
convince you. you I was like, are we really going to do this? I don't know how to do this. I I still don't know how to do this. (laughs) (laughs) I feel so silly with this microphone. I'll make you sound like a professional. All right. I'm excited. I'm excited to hear the finished product. All right, man. Thanks. Thank you, Chris. Now, in my travels over the last year, I've, you know, generally I'm the oldest guy at the crag and I've come across a whole lot of 19 and, you know, young 20 year olds. And it's not often that I meet one who's so in tune with recognizing the trappings of his own ego and, and understanding what it is he needs to do to get better. And on meeting Jonah, it would be really easy to just shrug it off as another nice kid. Uh, but I'm really glad that I dug in because I've learned so much talking to Jonah about relaxing and not taking this thing so seriously. And, and looking at this path that Jonah took that might seem at first backwards uh, to learning to try hard and to learning to really flip that switch by meditating and learning to breathe and and when you do get to the top allowing yourself to find absolute joy in it you know i think that's what makes jonah durham a not so average joe thanks again for listening to our not so average series we do this because we love it and because we believe that everyone has a story worth telling The music you heard in today's episode is from the album The World Is Ours by our friend El Poetic. The World Is Ours is celebrating its 10-year anniversary, and for me, it's just as good now as the first time I heard it 10 years ago. You can hear more from El Poetic at ilpoetic.com. These episodes take a ton of time to produce, and you can help a lot by sharing us on your social medias. You can like our Facebook page and follow us on Instagram. If you're into Pinterest, we're on there too. And well, you can tweet about us, but like my main dude, Nolly Simon, says, We don't tweet, we scream like eagles.